So welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John. Um, so we're in week two of this message series called Less of Me. And in this series, what we're trying to accomplish is essentially getting us to a place where we can begin to remove ourselves from the equation. Get to a place where there's sort of less of us and more of others. Less of us and more of God. So here's something I do know about America and this culture that we're in. We do live in a culture of me. Everywhere we go, people are talking about themselves, right? They love to talk about themselves. And the fact of the matter is that social media and reality television has turned us all into celebrities. Because when you think about it, social media has given you this tremendous platform to hear from you, and reality television has assured you that you need no talent for people to hear from you. So all these things has turned us all into celebrities, or so we think, or so we think. So with Facebook, the reality is this. We think that everybody needs to hear from us. Everybody needs to hear from us. Whatever's going on in our life, specifically, let's talk about we go on vacation. We've got to check in at the airport before we go. We've got to post pictures of it while we're there. When we get back, we've got to put the album up. The following Thursday, we've got to do a TBT to remind you of what I have been doing. New job, post about it. Going to dinner, check in. Because my life is so important that you need to hear about it. Reality is, because we're just obsessed with likes. We just love those likes, right? You put a picture up, you get your first like, and you're like, oh, gosh, everything is right with the world. 20 or 30 in, you're starting to feel like a celebrity. Things are so good. Adam and I were talking about this week, and he goes, do you remember that one time we were out to dinner, and I put that picture up? And I was like, bro, you put so many pictures up each day, I have no clue. He goes, no, no, remember this. I put the picture up, and it was there for like 10 minutes, and it didn't get a like. And I go to you, hey, do me a favor. Go on Facebook right now. Give me a courtesy like. Let's get this ball rolling a little bit. But you know this is true. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. I think we also like social media because it gives us, like, recognition. It allows people to recognize us, to see what's going on in our life, to see our achievements and what's happening. We love that. I think with social media, though, at the core of it, and we might not admit this publicly, we might not even admit it uh, privately, but I think we like social media because it gives us approval. This idea that we are just dying for our friends, for our family, for our community to just kind of look at us and go, hey, listen, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, okay? That's why we love it. And as I pointed out, I think we're quick to blame people for this scenario. We're quick to blame people for this culture of me. Specifically, we look at guys like Andy Cohen. Mr. Bravo TV, if you don't know who this is, I think you're lying. He created All the Real Housewives. Vanderbump Rules, Below Deck, any show on Bravo in the last 10 years, this man is behind. Or we blame the Kardashians, right? We say, these are the people, gosh, right, it's terrible, right? These are the people that have showed us that you need no talent for people to watch what you're doing. So if they can do it, why can't I do it? How about Mark Zuckerberg, the guy who actually created the platform that we all love to use? And this week, he was definitely in some heat. I loved watching it. I think he got off easy, to be honest with you. Or last but not least, God rest his soul, Steve Jobs. The man who created the iPhone, this device that has single-handedly changed the way that we communicate with each other, this, and it's why we're always looking down and we never look at it, you know, it's all about us. But the reality is these guys, they just created the product. We're the ones who consume it. We're the ones who obsess over it, and we're the ones who make it all about ourselves. So in this conversation about less of me today, here's somebody we're not talking about. We're not going to talk about you. Today we're going to talk about the you next to you, meaning others. Others. So in life, 
when we deal with other people, I think we all kind of have life rules. We all have these rules that we abide by to, you know, help us figure out how we're going to deal with other people, whether it's your spouse, your neighbors, your coworkers, or whatever the case may be. I was thinking about some of my own life rules and the way that I use them and the way that I interact with people. And maybe you'll see yourself in them. Maybe you do something different. But number one, I like this one. Do unto others as they do unto you. This is a good one, right? Because you give zings to people when they get you back. And you feel better. Really, this is revenge. The tit for tat. We're all guilty of it. We all do it. I said earlier that it's kind of the state motto of New Jersey. So, like, I know it really well. But one of the other ones that we do a lot is do unto others as your mood would have it. Specifically for me, when I get hungry, I get hangry, and you better just like back up. Because like around 9 o'clock, I'm doing good, but like 12 o'clock, if I haven't eaten lunch by now, it's go time. And the react, so this just happened this morning. This is a real life situation. So we get here, we wake up at 5 a.m. to get to the church very early to set all this up. And whether you had a long Saturday night, I mean, it is DHC, that is possible, right? Or you just haven't had enough coffee, by the time you're here, you are not what I would call in a great mood, right? You're a little cranky. So this morning, we're trying to prepare, and Tim and I, who's one of our core team members, we're pushing all of this stuff over to the elevator, and we're waiting for the elevator. So what you don't know is last night there was a sleepover. There were kids everywhere, all over the place. So that frees your nerves a little bit to begin with. So we're waiting there for the elevator, and this little kid comes up next to us, and he wants to use the elevator with us. Fine, not a problem. We can share. Door opens up. We let him in first to be polite. He turns around. He presses one, and he shuts the door, and the door closes. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding. You've got to. Anyway, I almost killed him. <laughs> so here's the deal. God understands that we're all kind of operating with our own life rules, but the reality is that God has called us to a higher standard. If you've said yes to Jesus, and you're dealing with other people, which we all are, God has called us to a higher standard. He says, look, I need you to do unto others as I have done unto you. Do unto others as I, God, have done unto you. Now, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are aware that God has done a bunch in your life, that he has transformed your life. You are a new person, so you have a lot to be grateful for. But here's a couple of things that I know about what God has done for me. He's done some things unconditionally. Number one, he's unconditionally forgiven me. He said, John, I know what you've done in the past, and I know what you're doing now, and I know what's going to happen in the future. But because of Jesus, I unconditionally forgive you. And I'm appreciative of that. But the reality is that I don't know if I want to unconditionally forgive other people because they've done some things, and I don't want to let them off the hook because I'm going to feel like I'm just letting them by. I don't know if I can unconditionally forgive them. Secondly, he's unconditionally included me into his family. He said, John, despite all your faults and failures, despite all that's going on in your life, I call you one of my own. And I'm grateful for that. But I don't know if I want to unconditionally include other people in my family because I may not agree with their lifestyle or the choices they're making in their life or X, Y, and Z, and until you get X, Y, and Z right, I'm just not going to include you in what's going on in my family. You see, we as Christians sometimes say, God, I love you, but I just can't stand these people in my life. And so what we start to do is this. We start to compartmentalize. We start to say, okay, yes, God, I love you, and I understand that I may not be the greatest with people, but let me just remind you of a couple of things. Number one, I go to church every Sunday. I never miss. Well, maybe I miss some Sundays, but I'm there two, three times a month, so I do that. And I pray 
I pray in the morning. I pray at night. I pray at the restaurant when I get my lunch. You know, when the waitress has gone 20 yards away and she can't hear me, I pray, okay? And I also read the Bible. Every day I am reading that Bible. And I've got the Jesus Calling app on my phone. And when it alerts me to read it, I read it. And the icing on the cake, God, is that I listen to Christian music in my car, in my house. I got it covered. We're fine. We're good. And God says to us, listen, before you get all high and mighty about all these things that you're doing, because church is good and you should go, right? And praying is good and you should pray. And, and reading the Bible is good and you should pray. You need to understand that this vertical relationship between you and me, it's actually measured by the horizontal. Meaning, your love for me, your love for me is measured by your love for other people. You say you love me, well, the way that you want to prove it, the way that you want to show the depth and the maturity of your love is to love those that I've put in your life. How do we do that? Well, we serve. Now, last week, Adam talked about the importance of serving at a macro level, this idea of volunteering and giving back to an organization and serving others through volunteering. But this week, we need to approach it on a micro level. We need to approach it on an interpersonal level, how you deal with siblings and parents and coworkers and neighbors. Now, Paul speaks of this idea of serving, and he talks about it in the book of Galatians. And it's really interesting because he gives us this principle this principle that if you choose to use it, if you put it into action, it can absolutely transform your life. And I'll put it up here in a second. But what's so interesting about this principle is where it's found. So it's found in the middle of Galatians, and it's found in the middle of this discussion about freedom. So Paul is talking with the Galatians, and the Galatians are essentially Jewish Christians. These are people who have grown up Jewish, their ancestors were Jewish, but now they've said yes to Jesus. They say, okay, listen, Paul, I need some help here. All of my life, my relationship with God has been a relationship with the law, meaning I got to jump so high, and I got to duck so low, and I got to do X, Y, and Z, and if I do all that, God and I are good. But now I've said yes to Jesus, and I understand that he's the Messiah, and he, because of him I'm going to heaven, but what do, I, what do I do with the law? How do I make these two things jive? What do I do with the law? And Paul says this, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free from the law. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone told you that you were free from the law, what would your reaction be? Because mine would probably be like, all right, it's go time, right? Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to heaven anyway. I'm going to be nice to you. Let's go. And Paul is saying, okay, listen, yes, yes, you were called to be free. You are free from the law. However, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, okay? Just, I understand that you don't have to be nice to people anymore. Doesn't mean you should be a jerk. He's saying, don't be like the college freshman who's finally away from his parents, who's finally, you know, away from home, and by the time it's November, you're 15 pounds overweight, and your liver is screaming for mercy. Don't be like that, okay? Just because you don't have to be nice doesn't, you doesn't mean you should be a jerk. Rather, rather, he says, serve one another humbly in love. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He's saying, guys, listen, for the first time in your life, for the first time in the history of mankind, you have a new opportunity. You are no longer under the law. Now that you don't have to, you get to. Now that you don't have to be nice to people, you get to be nice to people. Now that you don't have to do X, Y, and Z because God commands you to do X, Y, and Z, you get to do it. And that's so much more powerful. He's saying, guys, leverage your freedom. Leverage your freedom to freely 
serve others. This is so important. The reason it's so important to do this, Paul says, is because the entire law, this thing that you're tr you've tried to accomplish your whole life, this thing that we've all been trying to do for thousands of years and couldn't, the whole law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors yourself. Love your neighbors yourself. That's what I'm calling you to do. In all things and in all ways, I want to challenge you to put others first. So, you know, this looks good on a screen, and this sounds like, yes, I'm loving it, I'm doing it, how do I, you know, I can handle that. But there is like a little bit of an elephant in the room when we have this conversation, because I want to talk to you about one thing, and it's that person. Because right now, in your mind, there's that one person in your life, that person that it's always like this with. You know who I'm talking about. Whether it's a sibling or a parent or an ex or a coworker or a neighbor, there's somebody where your life is always like this. And Paul knows this. He's not an idiot. And so he says, okay, let me just, let me just talk about that for a second. And he uses an analogy, almost like a dog fight. And he says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, he says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I mean, he, he understands that we have so many relationships that it's just like this, and it's brutal, and it's tense, and it's not fun, and it keeps us up at night. And he says, guys, if you want to make this better, it's very simple. Now, it's not easy, but it's simple. You've got to give up your right to be right. You've got to step back and say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to see a need, I'm going to meet it, I'm going to see what needs to get done, and I'm going to do it. You just got to give up your right to be right. Now, when I say something like this, or Paul says something like this, you're going to say, well, well, okay, hold on, wait, time out. Because in my situation, it's not about me being right. It's about something else. It's about X, Y, and Z. Paul's saying, uh -uh. I know you think it's about X, Y, and Z, but at the end of the day, this is about you thinking you're right, and this person thinking they're right, and you need less of you. Someone, someone's got to step back and say, okay, we've got to do this differently. How can I serve you? And you may say, John, that is, you don't know what you're asking me to do. There's no way that I can do that. Well, here's what I do know. When you said yes to Jesus, you were given the power to say no to yourself. In this relationship, you were given the power to step back, to say no to yourself, and to say yes to others. Because when you do this, when you finally decide to say, okay, something has got to change or we're just going to kill ourselves. When you decide to serve that other person, isn't it true that it's hard to stay angry at the person you're trying to serve? It's just true. And isn't it also true that it's hard to stay angry at someone who's trying to serve you? That's near impossible. So when you say something like this, and when you have a conversation like this, and you read this in the Bible, inevitably, after this service, someone come up to me, or I get a text, or an email, and they say, okay, hold on, let me just, let me ask you a question. Because you were talking about that person. You don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. How far do I have to go? How far do I have to go? Because what they're looking for is they're looking for me to tell them, your situation is so bad, you are exempt from loving your neighbors yourself. It's they, they have hurt you so badly that you do not need to serve them. 
The reality is I can't make that decision for you. Only you know your particular situation and what is going on. I can't help you with that. What I was thinking about, that's not really, I'm kind of leaving you in the lurch if I just leave you there. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to pull a piece of scripture up, and it's familiar to you because we've actually gone over it twice in the big story. And in this scripture, you're going to see a scenario, and it's going to give you a formula. And in this formula, you can run your own situation through it. And you can say to yourself, okay, is my situation so bad that I don't have to love this person? So let me set the scene. This is the Last Supper. And what's going on is Jesus is now at the end of his ministry. He's at the end of the road. There's no more miracles. Ministry is over for him. And it's his final night on this earth. And he's in the upper room, and he's sitting with his 12 closest friends. To his left is Judas, a man who is about to betray him. And Jesus knows this. Across the table is Peter, a man who is about to deny him. And Jesus knows this. And the other 10 seats are taken up by Jesus' closest friends. And they're going to abandon him when he needs them most. And he knows this. So with that, let's read today. It was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God, and he would return from God. Let me ask you a question. If you were Jesus, and God said to you, you have now all of the authority in this world, all of the authority in the next world, all the authority in the universe over people, places, and things, and you were sitting at a table with a man who was going to betray you, and you knew this, and a man who was going to deny you, and you knew this, and 12, pardon me, 10 cowards who are you going to leave them when you need it most. And God says, power's yours. What do you want to do? I know what I would do. Let's see what Jesus would do. So he got up from the table, and he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when he was done, he stood up and he looked at him, and he goes, do you realize what I've just done for you? I mean, do you realize what I have just done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And, and since I, your Lord, capital L, since I, God, and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. You see, in that moment, Jesus gathered with the betrayers and the deniers and the cowards, and he served them. And then a few hours later, he died on the cross for them. So about five or six years ago, Adam and I worked at another church, a large church, and this organization, on one particular Sunday, wanted to do a foot-washing ceremony. It was the first time they had done that. Churches do this here and there, but this is the first one we had done. And before the service, all the pastors get together, and we, we sit up on stage, and we kind of go through the logistics of the day and what's going to happen. And um, Adam reminded me of this story, and, and, he, and the senior guy says, okay, so who's actually going to be doing the foot-washing today? Because I'm going to be on stage, so I can't do it. 
Well, the second in command goes, well, I'm going to be running music, so I certainly can't do it. Adam was quick to point out, well, I'm going to be with kids, so I can't do it. So it's just a couple of us left. And so the lead guy goes, all right, let me ask again, who's actually going to be doing the foot washing? And it just seemed like an hour went by that nobody said anything because nobody wanted to do it because it's disgusting, it's degrading, right? And it's kind of demoralizing. And we just sat there in silence. And I will never forget my own words. After a while, I just go, and if you know me, you know this to be the truth. I said, this is literally the last thing in the world that I want to do, but I'll do it. But I'll do it. And my boss goes, that's what Jesus said. And I kind of laughed because I thought he was doing like a that's what she said kind of a joke. And it wasn't until later that I realized what he was saying. Because while I was there going, Ugh, this is literally the last thing I want to do. Jesus is saying, on this earth, this is the last thing that I want to do. I want to wash the feet of the man who's going to betray me, the man who's going to deny me, and the men who are going to abandon me. So how far do you have to go? That's up to you. That's up to you. So what's the practical of a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, we throw this word up here every week because we want to make sure that you guys hear from us on Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. Number one, I want to challenge you as Paul did to leverage your freedom to freely serve others. Recognize their need and meet it. Whatever's going on in their life, do what needs to get done. Then, who is that person? Because you know who I'm talking about. Who is that person? What's that business deal? Where is that tension in your life that you could say, okay, I'm going to step back right now, and I'm going to serve you. Not because you deserve it, but because Jesus served me first. And then lastly, before you put it up, or you can put it up <laughs> right there, I want to challenge you to love the marginalized. And we didn't talk about this today, but as I was writing this message, I began to think about this idea that we are called to love our neighbors. And in this city, we have a lot of people who have been marginalized by society, whether it's because they've had problems with drugs and alcohol, whether it's because of their sexual orientation, whether it's simply because they party too hard on a Saturday night. These people have been stiff-armed by their family and unfortunately, in many cases, by the local church. And we here at DHC have been uniquely qualified and positioned to love these people. God hasn't called us to change them. God has simply called them to love them as ourselves. So as you go about this week, and you think about all these people, I want you to remember this. It's not about you. It's about the you next to you. may not be easy to do, but it's what God called us to do. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity to come here today. Um, thank you for this powerful principle that you gave us, Lord. This idea that, Lord, if we just serve those around us, everything can be different, God. And as we mentioned, there is those relationships in our lives that are so difficult, Lord. And I just pray that today, in some way, in some form or fashion, you would help us to get the ball rolling there, that you would make a way for us to make some progress in those relationships, Lord. They wouldn't be so contentious, that we wouldn't devour each other, Lord. And Lord, we know that you died on the cross so that we could begin loving others. I put all of this in your son Jesus' precious name.